Welcome to Unexpressed, where we express the inexpressible. My name is David White, and I'm the publisher at Whitefire. Over the years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with some really amazing people, very talented authors mostly, who have a unique view of the world. Our focus has been on the things that are important and challenging, viewed through the lens of storytelling. Our readers and our listeners are a part of that process. So if you're like us and you're looking for a podcast that will challenge you and encourage you to challenge yourself, you've come to the right place. Today we talked to author Olivia Smith. Her young adult novel, Seeing Voices, follows a teen girl who, after an accident, becomes hard of hearing. During our chat, we discuss how accidents and other life events can and do affect families every day. We also talk about her writing journey as a teen and her experience with the website Go Teen Writers and her own experience as she navigated the world of high school after being homeschooled. All right, so we're here this morning with Olivia Smith, the author of Seeing Voices, and thanks for being with me today, and I look forward to talking to you. Yeah, me too. We've been uh, chatting, I guess, last Friday about about your book, and we're really excited about it. Maybe tell us a little bit uh, first about um, about you and your publishing journey. I'll throw you a curveball since that's not what we were talking about just before we went on. But <laughs> Okay, for sure. Um, this is actually a really interesting, interesting question. I don't know how many times I've been asked this before, like about the the publishing journey part of it. Um, but I have been writing for like pretty much forever. Like I'm 22 now. Um, and I started telling my mom stories before I actually knew how to, to write, to write them down. So she has some ones that I like transcribed to her from when I was a kid, um, but I really got interested in writing books, like longer kind of works of fiction in eighth grade. Um, I did the one-year adventure novel program, um, which I was homeschooled, so that was kind of, it was easy for us to slide in. Changed my life, changed my writing. First time I finished a book, first time I knew anything about structure or character or plot. Um, and then I was like totally hooked <laughs> Um, so I wrote another, another, well, my first full length novel, I wrote a, a, a shorter one with the program, but my first full length one was when I was 14. Um, and then for, there was, there was a period of a couple of years where I, I struggled to latch onto an idea and the characters were seeing voices, specifically Skylar, the main character and her brother, Mike, uh, popped into my head when I was probably, probably around, uh, maybe 15, 16, 17. And I was struck by this idea of, of, of a family who'd gone through this traumatic event, but specifically two siblings who had been so close and then were both struggling to kind of deal with the after effects of a, a traumatic event in very different ways. And, and I just, but the problem was I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything more than that. I just had these people that I really loved. So I sat on that idea a couple of years, like a very long time. And then gradually more and more pieces kind of came together. And then in 2015, so I would have been about 18 or so at that point, I sat down and wrote it all. And it was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> my sister, I get my sister's like my beta reader and I gave it to her and I was so excited. And a couple like days later, I said, Oh, like, what do you think of it? And she goes like, Oh, like, I just haven't had a lot of time to read lately. And she had always been so excited about my books before. And I was like, oh man, something is not right. <laughs> so she finished it. And then she said, you know, like, um, <laughs> uh, but I loved this. I loved the, the people in this story and I wanted to make it work. So I went back to the drawing board and I rewrote the entire thing, replotted the entire thing and, and edited it and, you know, over and over again. And that took another couple of years. And then in 2018, in May, I started querying. I started sending letters out to agents and publishers. And I had heard of Whitefire. This is a fun story. I had heard of Whitefire through the Go Teen Writers blog um, because, of course, all this writing process was taking place when I was a teenager. And I had had I had, um, had a sample chapter critiqued by the Go Team Writers team, so I knew about Rosanna for years before I was ready to query. And Whitefire was one of the first, if not the very first, place I sent a letter off to. Also, the only place to send me a personalized response, and one of the only places to request follow-up material, which was 
you can imagine the most exciting thing ever. <laughs> and so for about a year, I kept querying and Whitefire asked to see more and I sent them updated drafts and didn't have any definitive answers, got a lot of rejections. And then almost a year later in, in March, I think, or April, I, um, I participated in like an online pitch war and I had an offer from a different publishing house, but I loved Whitefire so much. So I emailed you guys and I said, look, I have an offer, but I would love to go with your company. And you said, yes, and here I am. So it was, it's been, it was a kind of a crazy, crazy journey, but very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is the first time we've been able to talk about this, but um, we, we love go teen writers here. I mean, Rosanna's been part of that and best friends with Stephanie Morrill over there for, for a long time. So, you know, they, they talk, they, Rosanna has her little uh, hangouts chat open with her all day long, every day. So I, I can't say a hundred percent that like Rosanna knew you, but there's a chance that she was somewhat aware of, of you even before you, you sent the query. So, um, yeah, can you? I don't know if you wanted to talk any about that uh, as almost. A, I don't know if you'd want to plug anything they did or you know what was your experience like over at uh, at Goteen Writers while you were while you were developing and developing the story. Utterly fantastic. Even like no matter how old you are, you don't. Have, I I still often go to their website about if I'm struggling with a specific issue or when I was querying, I was in my, my early twenties and was still going to go teen writers and looking for information. So I really, really recommend it to any writer at any stage at any age, but specifically as a teen, it was one of the only places that I found besides the one year adventure novel curriculum that was designed for people like me who were trying to figure out how to write and edit and publish as young people who didn't have a lot of education, didn't have a lot of um, like credentials. I hadn't been published. I wasn't a member of any like guilds or uh, writing associations. And I didn't know what any of that meant anyway. So a lot of websites that were designed for older adults expected them to have like a base level of experience that I like was so not ready for. Whereas Go Teen Writers was very much about the writing about the bones of, of editing and querying. And I just felt like they gave you a, a real, like no nonsense, no no funky stuff. They just told you what, what was up with writing and all these other things. And the personalities of the three women, Stephanie Morrill, Shannon Didamore, and Joe Williamson, like they're so real. It feels like a friend is kind of walking you through the journey and they're all so accessible. Like, you can reach out to them on social media and they'll get back to you. So there's this sense of, of community, of authenticity and real helpful information that is hard to find anywhere else. So as a teen, that was hugely formative for me. Um, but adults who are writing or editing or publishing certainly can find val valuable information there too. Yeah, so one of the things I wanted to to ask you about as we get into some of the subjects from your book is, you know, why should anyone listen to a 21 year old on any of these subjects? But maybe I'm wrong about this. And maybe you have a deeper answer for that. But readers don't necessarily care when they pick up your book, you know, is Olivia 21? Or is she 45? One of our other uh, YA authors who I uh, interviewed last week, she is 45, but you would never know it to talk to her. I don't know if you've ever talked to her directly or just... Not I, I thought, like no. face to face. Oh, I, we should get you and some of the others together because it would probably be hilarious, but... That would be fun. Yeah. So maybe we'll plan something like that for later, but... Uh, you know, so it, it doesn't really necessarily matter what age you are if you can do the work in the writing, right? Mm -hmm. If you can if you can tell the story, if you can create compelling characters that you can empathize with, like all that matters then is is that you can do the work. And it sounds yeah. like over what, I guess, you know, six or eight years or something okay. like that, you you really developed that. So uh Let's get into the the story element a little bit here for a second. So you you were really excited about these these couple of characters. So is that have you written anything else? And is that where you usually start? Is with the characters or or with an idea that 
you know, you put the situation, you put the characters in because they seem like they're both really related. So how do you start? And, you know, have you done anything else? Is, do you have a common process, I guess? This is also a really interesting question because up until last year, I would have said, yes, I always start with characters first. They're like people that show up so realistically to me, like as if it was uh, like a pen pal, somebody that I've never met, but I fully believe is there at the other end of the the letter or whatever. Um, But my problem has always been plot. So I have really awesome people and I'm like, what are they going to do? Like, I don't know. And then I went to a writing seminar led by YA author Maggie Steve Vodder. And she said she is also a character-driven author and had the same problem as me. And she said the reason for that is when your characters are so real in your head, they're like real people. And because they are so real, you can't just tell them what to do. They won't, they won't fit into a plot line very easily, which can make it very difficult to move forward. So her advice was once a character appears to you, like note it down for sure. And then try not to, to develop the character too much or try not to spend too much time like embracing their realness and kind of pause and then think to yourself, what kind of story do I want to tell? Like what kind of emotion do I want to convey? What's, what is, what is something interesting to me that I might want to write about and try kind of analytically to figure out some of those basics first and then revisit the character. And hopefully because you've done some of the background work as the character develops, they'll grow into the story. Um, I haven't mastered that process yet at all, but I'm trying to, to be a little bit more analytical with the plot side because I like as much as I am happy to wait years for the idea to develop in my head, that's a very long time and possibly with no with no writing taking place if I can't think of anything. So I'm trying to get myself to a process where I have a little bit more con- control over over the planning process so that I can get to the writing a little faster. Yeah, I had asked this question to Kara Licht, one of our sort of longtime authors. I guess she has three three book, four books with us, um, three in a series and then a standalone. And the way she described her process, I'd never heard of before. She said, I put a, I take a character and I put them in a situation, just one character, and let them let them tell me what's going to happen, sort of. So she said she started uh, her first book, um, Soul Painter, with just a character in like 19th century Chicago walking through the fog hmm. and just followed them. And she said, I just free write 100 pages. Wow. And... Uh, and see what happens. She said it usually comes out to be right about a hundred pages, and then I find my plot. And mm-hmm. but what I found interesting about the two of you that you're talking about was she said I tried to just imagine a room full of characters and come up with you know each one and how they all fit in, but that was too much. That was too many. Like right. you went in too many different directions. So like everyone's process is so so different. But I think that character driven stories is sort of what his is a common theme among mm-hmm. a lot of our books. Like that's what I think a lot of our readers are really interested in is how, how you develop characters and, and that kind of thing. So your, your book starts with uh, probably one of the more unique primary characters I've ever seen, because I've never imagined what it would be like to be in the mind of a newly deaf person. Maybe talk a little bit about how you came to that and why, and we can get into that a little bit more. Yeah, um, that's kind of a question in in two parts, almost like, why did I choose to write about a hard of hearing individual? And then why a newly, uh, somebody who who is dealing with the injury in a, not at the injury, but the situation in a new way. Um, so I'll speak to the first one first, and say that when I was when I was growing up, I had uh, a close friend and a couple of family members who were deaf or hard of hearing. And uh, quickly, the distinction is um, people who are lowercase d uh, deaf have very, very little to no uh, ability to hear at all. Often uh, hearing assistive technologies, often not always, are not that helpful. Um, Whereas somebody who's hard of hearing has some ability to hear, just not kind of 100%, often supplemented with 
hearing aids or something like that. And then capital D deaf, not to totally confuse you, capital D deaf is a cultural distinction. So when you use capital D deaf to refer to people, they're people who are deeply in the deaf culture, they sign, um, and it, it really is a, a culture of its own. So to bring it back to Skylar, Skylar is hard of hearing. She does have some ability to hear and uses hearing aids as well. Um, and in fiction, a lot of times what I found is that when people were writing about deaf or hard of hearing characters, it was, it was, it felt almost gimmicky to me. Like it didn't, it didn't match the experience of the people that I knew in real life. And, um, like, I remember one situation, there was a character in a book that I read who had the ability to lip read and they used it almost like, like a spy, a spy thing. Like at school, she would lip read conversations and then she would tell her friends what was going on. But as somebody who grew up using lip reading sometimes to communicate, even if I was standing face to face with somebody speaking slowly, using not sign language, but maybe like simple hand gestures to supplement, a lot of times they would still have no idea what I was saying because lip reading is really hard and it's very inaccurate. It's often used as a supplement to something else. So if you're if you're using hearing aids, for example, and you're not catching every single word, you would glance at somebody's lips and between the two, you would put it together. And this character across a crowded cafeteria where people are walking and chewing what? food in their mouths. And she was seamlessly lip reading entire conversations between multiple people. And it was a cool idea, but it was so not realistic. And I was so frustrated because I thought um, like communicating with somebody who who is deaf or hard of hearing is, is really fun actually. It can be, and it can be a unique kind of relationship bonding experience because you have to you have to maybe think a little bit more. You have to get creative. And that can be like as a kid, I thought that was super fun. And I wanted to see stories where where that type of communication was looked at. And I couldn't find any. So uh, what I found, I'm yeah, sorry. sorry, what I found really interesting, though, it, it wasn't. So this is a really great contrast to the other story you were talking about is all of the times where she couldn't communicate or was totally cut off like i felt like that was a huge almost character in itself was this uh you know aloneness or you know isolation <laughs> and you know, like you said even you said you were frustrated reading it but i can only imagine how frustrating it can be sometimes to be staring at someone and they're trying to communicate with you and sorry just not gonna happen yeah um and, and being able to see that and be inside a character's head who's experiencing that was was totally different. Well, one of the, to speak to the second part of the question, one of the reasons I decided to write about a hard of hearing character who who is new to this type of experience um, is because I, well, for one thing, I'm not hard of hearing myself. I didn't grow up hard of hearing. So speaking about the experiences of someone who has always experienced the world this way, um, would have been more difficult for me because I don't have the personal experience. Whereas because Skylar is so, so new to this, this world, she is still contrasting it with the hearing world, um, which was, was something I had a little bit more personal experience in um, and then could kind of show, show that almost from, from kind of a, a step back, like Skylar herself, of course, is not, is not a step back, but her memories of being able to hear are a step removed from her current reality. So I was playing with with that experience a little bit, um, kind of showing showing the the ways that we we take certain methods of communication for granted, um, and then what it's like to figure out how to navigate and communicate in a world in a different way. Um, and I. I felt really drawn to that kind of that dichotomy or that contrast. And so that's why I chose to start with, with kind of the before and after of hearing and then part of hearing and Skylar's experience. You, you may extend this to other people who have had other sort of traumatic accidents and that kind of thing. So who else might be, be interested in like, what's a more universal appeal here? Um, because obviously I found it interesting um, and have zero experience with the deaf or hard of hearing communities at all. I, 
honestly, besides, you know, old ladies at church, I don't have a lot of experience with with that kind of thing. So what's what's the appeal then to uh to say a young adult or or even a regular adult to to want to know more about this? Totally. Um one of the one of the other reasons that Skylar's story is so like near and dear to me, besides the fact that I wanted to see a better representation of hard of hearing characters besides that is the idea that I wanted to I wanted to write a story about an entire family not just an individual but a family who is uh, walking through the after effects of a traumatic experience um, in my own family we went through a period in my teenage years where a couple of my family members had um, unexpected uh, medical issues um, nothing nothing life-threatening or ultimately, serious but in the moment difficult to deal with and as a teenager hard to navigate watching your family members go through something unexpected like that and I felt that a lot of times in in fiction it the the person who is experiencing the for example the medical issue is the one that the story um, focuses on and and often tracks their their journey back to healing or, or growth or whatever that may be but as somebody who was watching family members go through um, go through a difficult time. I wanted to show kind of all aspects of the family and show how even the seemingly unaffected family members are in fact affected and have their own pathways of, of hurt and then healing and growth through the after effect. So although Skylar is the one who is, um, is physically impacted by, by the accident that causes her to lose her hearing, um, her brother, Mike, also um, goes through quite a, a journey in his own way, having to deal with watching the accident, watching the accident, um, I mean, the after effects of the accident. And so his story, even though he's he's not the main character, was something that I was so interested in telling. Um, and I really wanted to show how the entire family um can continue to grow together and can continue to to heal, even though maybe only one of them was was physically affected. And so that I think is is more universal uh, to families in general. Like even if you haven't gone through a medical issue, I would say it would be difficult to find a family that hasn't struggled in some way. And so my story, while it's about Skylar, is also deeply about family. Yeah. I, I think that that's definitely true. Uh, as a side note, I'm trying to remember because it has been quite a while since I've read it, but mm-hmm. is this a first person or is this, I'm trying, is this a third person? It is it first is, person. I thought so. Yeah. And it's all first person. There's no secondary first person or third person POV, which I find remarkable though. And this is another, I guess, compliment to you is one of the things that really I, that struck me as true from the family perspective is how much she actually cares, Skylar cares about the other members of her family and how deeply she's thinking about them and their reactions and that kind of thing. So even though you're not ever in any of the other characters' head, you empathize with them in the way that she does. Yeah. And that's like that's difficult. Like you say, so much of this is you know, a character who is angry because of this or that and doesn't understand why, uh, you know, the mother, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, friend doesn't understand why this is difficult. And yet Skylar really does not, I mean, she struggles with it somewhat, but she really deeply cares about the the other members of the family. And I think that's, like, that's much more true to life. Mm-hmm. We we spend an awful lot of time as as just people worried about how our our friends and our family are are responding to things totally part of the reason that i was trying to do that is to like it's it's like you said i didn't want skylar to come across as a self-centered character and something else that i was really aware of as i was writing is i never want to portray um the hard of hearing experience as a negative one um, so although Skylar is is struggling with it because it's different, it's different than what she knows, and the accident itself was a traumatic experience, 
Um, I didn't want it to come across that Skylar felt that being hard of hearing was a bad thing. Um, because it's not, it's very different, but certainly not negative. And so by, by focusing, I, I like, I really wanted Skylar's journey to be one of figuring out how to live differently and then watching her family members go through that. And sometimes Skylar even has a little bit of frustration because sometimes she thinks, well, I'm, I'm actually coping. Okay. And I'm moving forward. And why can't you guys figure it out? Cause like I'm the one who's figuring out a different way of living, but you guys are, are stuck on this. And because Skylar herself, it's it's almost clearer for her what what the what the different experience is because she's living it. And her family physically is is unaffected. So the 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 way that they are figuring out how to live in in, in a different space is less clear because Skylar has has things that she can work towards or or things that she can practice. And and her family is kind of watching her and wanting to help and not knowing how. And so in in some ways, she she is almost is almost frustrated at them for not kind of keeping up with her, which is also, I think, an interesting family dynamic. Sometimes, sometimes it's very it's very difficult to be the family member that that watches and not know exactly what to do or where your place is as your family member is figuring out a new different way of of kind of living yeah that's i I just had a weird thought and that's not dissimilar to what it's like almost to be a parent right is as soon as you're used to having an infant you know i don't think you're a parent but or maybe i'm wrong but no i'm not (laughs) i didn't think so but you, you get used to having a baby and then they're not a baby and then they're walking around you get used to them walking around and they start to you know talk and then you get used to talking to them in a certain way and it changes like i'm always behind and Mm. I, I don't know. Maybe that's not at all similar, but well, Skylar's parents. Again, I'm not a parent, but Skylar's parents would probably say the same thing if they were here. <laughs> well, yeah, like she's changed, and now it's not just she's a teenager and friend has friends and is wanting to be out and you know getting a job and doing all this normal stuff. Like she's changed in this sort of fundamental way, and. I don't know. That would probably take me a long time to get used to and deal with just on an emotional level, I guess, is, you know, how do you get over, I guess you go through stages of grief almost, right? You, you feel guilty and you'd be angry and, you know, well, and always be reminded. In the, in the later stages of edits, I went back and did some work on Skylar's parents and her mom really feels, feels guilty for not being able to prevent the accident. She wasn't, she wasn't even there. She was at home and Skylar and Mike were out somewhere, but you see that her mom feels so feels like she should have been able to stop it somehow, which I think, again, not as a parent myself, but I think when stuff like that happens, I think a lot of parents do feel that way. Like even if there was no way for them to have stopped it, like they still wish they could have. And then you see that come out in her behavior now. And so it's really, I've tried to kind of paint the picture of, kind of each family member as an individual and their own journey through the aftermath of something like this, a traumatic experience. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is, is too hard a question, but I, I'm thinking, you know, where, where do you imagine this touching, touching a person, whether it is that they've had this kind of experience and this helps them understand it better, or is this something that if you read as a, as a teenager or, at, you know, as a, a parent who maybe hasn't had, you know, has lived a fairly charmed life. Like some of us, you know, we don't have a whole lot that, that goes wrong in the course of our life. Mm-hmm. Some of us have an awful lot. So, you know, how, how, do, how do you expect the audience to interact or the readers to, to sort of, what do you expect them to pull out of, of, of all this? Good question. Um, I think it's hard to give one answer because I think people sure. are so are so, so different in some ways from each other. Um, so on a, on a detailed level, there will probably be very few people who will read Skylar's story and think, oh, that exact experience has happened to me. <laughs> um, but if you, if you kind of step back a little and go back to broad concepts, um, like Skylar is still a teenager figuring out 
how to be friends with people or if she's growing apart with her friends, she's still figuring out like the idea of kind of like first love, like seeing voices is not a romance. There isn't a romantic subplot, but as a teenager, that's something that is often in the back of your head, like that, that kind of experience. So there's, there's that piece of it. And I have just in, just when, when I, when I write, I try to write, um, like emotionally. So I try to share emotions that are, um, like authentic and, and true and hopefully relatable. And so I think if you can't relate to the experience, that's fine, but I hope you can relate to the emotion. So maybe you have never had a family member go through a traumatic event at all, but I assume at some point you felt guilty about something. So then maybe when you are watching Skylar's mom's character, that kind of tugs you a little bit. Like you think, oh, I don't know the situation, but I know the feeling. Um, or Skylar herself watching Mike being so frustrated with him as he's on his own journey. Maybe you're an only child. Maybe you don't even have siblings. So the, the sibling relationship is not something that you connect with. But that emotion of, of that, that frustration with somebody because you care about them so deeply, I hope like the emotion I hope you can connect to. Yeah, like so, a parent with a child who has uh, has had, you know, maybe you don't connect with it uh, on a brother-sister relationship, but maybe you connect with it on a, you know, parent-child, or absolutely. frankly, on a child-parent relationship. I, I think a yeah. lot of people have the experience where you go, come on, mom and dad, get your stuff yeah. together, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's not that hard. It, you sort of already even touched on that with her, Skylar's frustration with her parents. Like, come on, this is, yeah. isn't that difficult, but so... You know, and she's frustrated with her brother because, you know, why are you, you know, why are you acting out in this way? It's just, you know, he definitely goes, he, Mike's character, I think definitely is the one that has the peaks and valleys in, mm -hmm. in, in his story. Uh, I, I kind of want to touch on this, this other idea that I think is absolutely universal and uh, I'm going to try to relate it to your own personal experience. Uh, you were talking uh, before, I guess, we started recording about your college experience. And right. uh, I don't know whether you're going to college in you know your hometown or whether you've gone away or, or any of that. But there is this disconnect with friends and people that you've known your whole life as, as life changes. And between the situation that happens in this story and the fact that you know, she's making new friends and um, has, you know, it's sort of what gone away for the summer, but still there's this whole yeah concept. So maybe speak a little bit to to that and, and, and that universal experience. And I don't know if you can tie that in with, with your real life or not, but yeah. I, I know for me, I still think about that, what, 18 or so years later, like the friends that you just don't see all of a sudden that you saw every day for years and years. So yeah. Um, it's funny because the, I pulled heavily from my own high school experience, not so much my, my university experience in writing that part of the story, because I, I was homeschooled as a child up until grade 11. And so my best friends were also homeschooled and we went to the same homeschool program on Fridays. And, and then in grade 11, I went to high school and I kind of like reinvented myself, not necessarily in a healthy way, but I did at the time. And kind of just like I was hanging out with different people at high school and and did not have any idea how to fit these two parts of my life back together. And I remember being so like frustrated, like not knowing who to be when I was with my old friends or my new friends and 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 not seeing them as much, certainly. And then kind of thinking these are people that I have known since I was a child and it feels wrong to walk away, but is that normal? Like, and being very confused and not knowing what to do. And so in my, in my personal life, um, part of the problem was this whole reinventing process that I had decided to engage in. And so I did end up kind of re-figuring out who I was and actually staying friends with some of those people. But I pulled on that confusion in, in writing Skylar's story. And, and in Skylar's case, she really is going through a natural kind of point of separation with some of her old friends. 
and she hasn't chosen to reinvent herself. But as I said, she's she's living a different experience now. And well, she's sort of forced to reinvent herself. Yeah, well, in a way, yeah. And while I absolutely believe some friendships can kind of last through anything, in Skylar's particular case, um, her friendships naturally kind of start to to fade. Well, her friend, her her best uh, friend from home. And I intended that to be more more a teenage thing than anything else. Like the the older we get, the more sometimes we grow away from people and that's totally natural and it's okay. But Skylar is very much like this this person, this girl that I've been friends with is part of my identity. Like we grew up together. People used to think we were sisters. We we have to be this close forever because we always have been. And and her friend Cam, who she met in in Golden Sound in the summer, just looks at her and goes, "Skylar, sometimes you outgrow people, and sometimes that's totally okay." And for me, writing that was actually was actually kind of like a point of of healing for me because even though my friendships had kind of settled, I remembered that feeling of confusion, and I still had no idea. Like things just worked out for me. I didn't have to necessarily do anything. So the confusion was still very real. Like, what if they hadn't worked out the way they did? What what should I have done? How should I have handled this? And so being able to write that Cam looks at Skylar and goes like, it's okay. Like, if your life is going this way and theirs is going that way, it doesn't have to be that way. But if it is, it's okay. Sometimes in the growing up process, you outgrow certain people and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Or at so, least grow apart. So massively healing, like for myself as well, to acknowledge that and say, like, okay, it's great that that I still have such awesome friendships and I will treasure them forever, but it's like it's okay. You don't have to hold on to things just for the sake of it. It's okay to let things go if 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 that's the right thing for you. Sometimes I think that my experience with that was almost a dream because I left high school a year early to go to college. And so, you know, they're all still back there and doing their thing. And it was, uh, so to me, that was, you know, there wasn't the natural breaking point that I think so many people have. Well, you know, this graduation, we're all going in different directions. It was a bye, everybody. Yeah, that would be hard. But again, I think in some ways that's Skylar's experience, right? I mean, she's just, even if she goes back and, you know, moves in next door with her best friend, like never, everything's going to never quite be the same. Yeah. And it's not even just, it's not even just because of the accident that she's been in, but it's because she is growing and changing and learning things in a, in a new place um, with a different experience as, as an adult. And, and it's really the growth and 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 that whole process that is what is what causes her friendships to grow apart it's not the accident it's not her the fact that she's hard of hearing because friendships withstand things like that definitely it's just that she's growing in a different direction and 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 physically removed of course makes a big difference too yeah physically removed is is sort of a big i mean that's just that's where the book starts is yeah. You know, physically removed and you can that's almost palpable in the beginning parts of it of okay this doesn't feel right and you know nothing yeah. is quite what you expect the one thing i would like like to say is that the writing and querying process of this book was was very deeply covered in in prayer and this is i guess i should have mentioned this when i was talking about publishing but i forgot <laughs> but um be, when I was struggling so much to find a, a plot line or something to happen to these characters that I cared about, I I used to just pray a lot and just say like like God give me something. Like the reason I write is because um, I believe like stories matter, and I believe that God often communicates to us and through us through stories. And I didn't want to write something that didn't matter. I didn't want to write something that had no kind of greater purpose to it and so I would just kind of pray and say like god this is your story like I'm a writer but you're the storyteller and so like give me something and I'll do it basically and so the writing process was kind of filled with that and then when I went into the querying process I was scared of how I would handle rejection (laughs) and I was and I was 
I just really strongly, I don't know how, how to, how to emphasize this. I really strongly felt that, especially because I had prayed so much through the writing process, I was like, it would be wrong to claim that this is, that this is my story. Like this is God's story. And I'm, I'm just doing the, the, the work to kind of get it out there. I did the work to get it on the page. And then I, I tried to look at querying as like, this is, this is, this is my, my, like my job, or this is my task, something that I'm doing to get God's story out there, not my story. And so every time I had a rejection, I would kind of think, you know what, it's okay. Because if God wants this story out there, it's going to get out there. Like I can't make a mistake big enough to prevent this story from being heard if God wants it to be heard. But then on the flip side, I also thought to myself, like if this story was just for me to write or for one of my beta readers to read, and it's really not supposed to be published, then these rejections are, are a good thing and it's okay. Like, and I didn't know that whole year I was querying. I hoped, I deeply hoped that someone would want to publish it because again, I cannot emphasize enough how much I love this story. It's so, so much of my myself is in this story and it's very close to me, but I also, was was reflecting on the fact that it was God's story first and maybe the purpose of it was was small when it was not to be published and so yeah the the threads of this are all kind of falling apart around me but I, I try to make a point of saying that of just acknowledging that I did not do this alone and I try to view all my writing projects as God's story not mine and I also, I, I also write, uh, like in Seeing Voices, I do mention, mention God, like God is part of that story in a, in a visible way. But I do write sometimes stories that maybe don't address God by name or don't, don't talk about God in an obvious way. And I still pray over those stories and I still think of them as God's stories. Because even stories that don't mention the name of God, I think can can carry messages that are deeply purposeful and point back to God in a more subtle way. And so even, yeah, I just, I, I really wanted to say that this is not my story. I'm just kind of here doing, doing the work on the computer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I felt that that was important to share. Yeah. I, I, I think that the idea of, I mean, maybe you don't deliberately ever remove God from your stories, but um, there was a, um, uh, a fellow I heard on a panel, and he said, um, I don't think that we should put Jesus all over all of our projects all the time. And he got a lot of flack. They're like, oh, you want to take Jesus out of the thing? He said, no, I just mean you can't put a Bible verse on a coffee cup and call it a Christian coffee cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so I think, what, what, where do you come down on, if you're just a writer, but you're also a Christian, and you're praying over it, you're praying over the process. Do you do you feel like you have to represent things in a certain way? Or do you, um, you know, where do, where do you draw that line and take it? And how much of it could be natural? Like for me, my, my thinking is that it should be natural, right? It should naturally flow out of who you are and, and what you write. And if you're having to think, well, man, maybe I need to put more of, you know, maybe I need to put more Jesus words into, into this story. Like, uh, maybe you're trying too hard. I, I don't know. That, that goes back to like, that's like trying to rip lip read across the room, right? Like that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's almost too tropey. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think it's, I think it's a very nuanced type of discussion, very difficult to kind of land somewhere. And to be honest, it's something I still think about a lot and sometimes even struggle with because I do like, I write books like Seeing Voices where God's name is, is mentioned and he's present in a in a tangible way. And then I also write projects um, where maybe I don't use the name of God at all and maybe none of my characters are Christians. And then I'm thinking, I'm, I'm always bal balancing, thinking about that, thinking um, like, what is the purpose of my story? Because sometimes when the name of God is in it, it's very clear. You're like, oh, this is a story that that has this this message and this, it, it's it's there. You can point to it on the page. And then I write other stories, and I pray over those ones too. And I think, okay, and and I, I think probably with every project it will be different. But I keep coming back to the question, like, 
what is the greater message of this story? Like, what purpose is it sharing? Because even stories that don't mention the name of God on the page can have incredible purpose. And I believe can point back to God. Absolutely. Um, but I do, I do think it's, it's good to, to check, check in and think, why am I including God in this story? Is it, is it working? Is it for the right reasons? Am I shoehorning it in there? And the same thing on the opposite side. Why, why is God not naturally coming up in this story? Is that because this is the story that I'm telling and this is a good thing and I can see purpose threaded through it and I can see um, the hand of God at work behind the scenes? Or is it that I'm writing a story that is a little, is a little flat? It isn't really going anywhere. You, you know, I think so on both sides, I think checking in with the message that you're trying to share and the way that you're trying to share it and then asking, is it working? Is it honoring God, whether or not his name is mentioned? And I think that's a, that's a project by project kind of discussion. And it may have to do partially with where you are um, with, with your life. Like if it doesn't feel like it's coming out, that may be a time to sit back and sort of self-reflect. I'm thinking about my uh, conversation with um, uh, uh, Camille Eide, and she talked about how uh, her process in writing is she spends an awful lot of time in self-reflection. Yeah. And she said it feels really, uh, we would say introspective, but I think she she deals with feeling guilty about spending so much time yeah. thinking through these things, but they come out beautifully in her writing. So... You know, if you're not doing that self-reflection and you're just sitting and doing the writing work and throwing story together, sometimes yeah. you just, it, it's not going to come out because you haven't, you haven't really felt it. You haven't, you haven't you, laid you the right foundation up here, <laughs> right? done the background work. When you, you switched from being homeschooled to, to going to a public school that you reinvented yourself. I don't know if you want to be any at all specific about that because I, I think that that's a really universal experience not mm -hmm. even just school but like you go to a new job and you think okay uh this is the person i want to be you know you you buy new clothes right like you get right. a promotion you buy a you know a suit or something you know or something like that like reinventing yourself is something that is somewhat common so can you talk about your your reinventing experience and whether sure. it was positive um... negative yeah well, it, it really worked out for me, but it, it ended up uh, not being very healthy. <laughs> so I really had heard that it was difficult for homeschoolers to transition into high school. I had friends who had done it and it had been hard for them. And so I was very like determined to be prepared. I had all my like walls up, my hard shell on. I was like, it's fine. Nobody has to like me in the first couple months. I'll figure it out. Like I'm prepared for the worst. And so I went in there and like way over prepared for something bad to happen. And it ended up being totally fine. Everybody was very friendly. People would stop me in the halls and ask me if I was lost, like a pretty much an ideal first week experience. And then I got, I got kind of sucked up in this new world full of people. And I'd had so much success not having a terrible time in the first couple of weeks that I thought, oh my gosh, like I can do more than just survive here. I can fit in. I can thrive. I can, this is exciting. And so I was really outgoing and energetic and bubbly and giggly and whatever, because at the, I was so excited and, and relieved, honestly, and people responded really well to that. And, and then once the, once I had decided that I, I was past the point of like survival or not survival, I realized that I was still really different from a lot of people. Um, partially because um, I was like, I was one of those people, I definitely did this once and then realized it was a terrible idea who would like stick their hand up and be like, do we have homework today? <laughs> because as a, as a homeschooler, it was all self-motivated. And, and so I was like, I need to know if there's homework so I can do it. <laughs> um, and that, that kind of attitude, which uh, like has since calmed down, I no longer asked to be given homework. <laughs> um, but that attitude really made me different from other people. And the fact that I was a Christian and I, I didn't go to parties or I didn't wear certain things that the other girls were wearing or, you know, the choices that I made very quickly became clear to me that, that home, like the fact that I wasn't homeschooled anymore was not going to make me the same as other people. And so I thought, well, 
like how are they going to like me if I'm so different from them because I was afraid that they were going to think I was a snob or or something and so I thought okay if if I'm going to stay a Christian and I'm going to stay the type of person who cares about their marks and not be a snob I'm going to be really, really like, likeable. <laughs> and for me, because again, in high school, there was so much that I didn't know. I would use, like, I would just say something and people would be like, oh, and I would have made a dirty joke and not known it. And it was oh. so obvious to people that I had no idea what I was talking about. Sometimes in, in situations like that. And, and so I thought, well, if they're, if like, I don't want them to make fun of me. I don't want them to laugh at me. I don't want them to think I'm a snob and like put me over there in the corner. So I played it really, or I tried to play it really cute. So when I would make a mistake like that, people started to respond like, oh, Olivia, like, that's so cute. Look at you. You don't know what you're talking about. And I, I played, like, I kind of played it that way. And I, I, I didn't act stupid. Like, people knew I was smart. But, but socially, I played up that, um, that confusion or that innocence. <laughs> a couple of people called me, like, the pure girl. But it was, it was affectionate instead of being malicious. Derogatory, yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, like looking back, I wish I had been brave enough to just be who I was unapologetically. Um, but I wasn't at the time. And I think, again, high school is hard. I think not a lot of people are, are brave enough to be who they are unapologetically. But it was, it was hard because I got so used to playing the label and accepting it and playing it up. And sometimes even if I was ever uncomfortable in school or somebody asked me to do something like a teacher wanted me to I had to lead a drum group once in gym class. I don't know. And I was so uncomfortable and I thought they're going to laugh at me. Like it was a dancing thing and I can't dance. And so I just like made it as like random as I could and tried to like, look like, Oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And people thought I was adorable and just laughed and everybody moved on and nobody was mean to me. So in high school, I considered that a win. And that attitude really pulled me apart from my old friends because clearly I was not being myself anymore I was being this other kind of woo kind of person and then it burned me out really fast grade 12 after high school because it was such a habit to be this like person that everybody liked that was just like oh so innocent and blah, whatever and I couldn't turn it off and then I really wanted to turn it off because I was so tired and I started to, I, I, I got really tired of people underestimating me. Like even after high school, when I would be at work, uh, guys used to think I was such a, like a, a ditz. Like you could tell, they just looked at me and thought like, oh, she has like, like, she's so silly. And I wasn't, and I wanted to be taken seriously, but I couldn't, I couldn't kind of shake that persona that I had created for myself. And so it was a long process, actually. Like how many years of high school? High school was five years ago, I think. And it has taken a lot of those five years to shed those habits that I got into so quickly of being like the loudest, most energetic person in the room of kind of wanting everybody to kind of like laugh at me a little bit of, of, of qualifying what I said with a little, a little sentence. So people would think like, Oh, she like accidentally got the right answer. Good for her. <laughs> and, but that's not who I am. And, but it was hard. It was very hard to kind of pull back from that and be like, no, this is who I am. I'm very, I, I care a lot about these things and I'm like, I'm not apologetic about it. And I'm also not silly. <laughs> and yeah, so that's what I meant when I said I reinvented myself. And a lot of that process of, of growing up and of figuring out who I really am and who I really want to be has factored into a lot of the different things that I've written. Cause clearly there's a lot of emotion there and wherever there's a lot of emotion, I think you can usually find some pretty good writing <laughs> yeah so i'd like to read that story that's you know just just that sounds i don't know I, i'm not sure how you would condense all of that down into yeah i don't know either you know 80 or so thousand words yeah. or sixty thousand words but uh, but it's it's sort of so universal i was thinking when you said people don't have the confidence or something like that to be themselves in those situations i was thinking do they even really know what that would mean yeah. Because like you, you might know internally, like I think I know who I am. You know, we have a sense of of identity sort of built into us, but what does that look like on the outside? I, I'm not sure that we know that for an awful long time. I'm not sure I know that now, 100. Yeah. percent Like, you know, just maybe step up and and do it because, uh, 
So I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but also thinking uh, most writers I've met have been massive introverts, some that can play extroverts on TV type of thing. But but to try to if I don't know if you're introverted, introverted or extroverted, but if you're like any every other author I've met, that would be (laughs) exhausting to do that for years. Well, I thought I was extroverted in high school. And uh, then I burned out <laughs> and realized later that I, I believe I'm introverted too. I can, yeah, like I love people, love being with people, but I think my recharge space is a little quieter. I really like people and having conversations, but having like good conversations, right? Do you have any experience with like relationships that have survived the sort of long term? And, you know, maybe anyone who has read Seeing Voices or listening to this afterward, uh, you know, what's what's next for for our characters there like do do these friendships we see develop survive or i, I don't know how much you want to tease on that yeah i um i will admit i have not thought deeply about the specifics of what happens after the story ends uh, broad strokes yes for sure um and my intention is always for the relationships that that are building in the book to survive i i i um I'm very attached to the way the friendships and relationships kind of develop over the course of the novel. And in my mind, they continue to grow and develop in a- anything that happens after after the end of the, the book. Yeah, I'm always really disappointed when, you know, the end of the book ends and people are generally pretty happy with each other and you think they've come to some sort of cathartic moment. And then you read a sequel and they're like, yeah, well, uh, Skylar and Mar- Mike haven't talked in five years, and she's gone off to college and become a total, you know, something or another. And, yeah. And you're like, and okay, then, so we're doing the whole book over again, because it didn't work the first time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, that's so frustrating to me. And and frankly, it's just, it. In, people say, oh, it's true to, to, true to real life. Well, not really that people just cut each other off. And I, I really yeah. do think, going back to it, like, her empathy for all of her friends and family is is what really made this hmm. the story work for me. Where can we find you on social media and your website? So on Twitter and Instagram is probably the best place to connect with me. I don't use Facebook uh, very much. And I'm Olivia M. Smith on both of those platforms. Pretty easy to, to look up there. Um, I also have a website, which is oliviasmith.ca. I'm in Canada. Um, and... My newsletter, uh, which you can find on my website, is a great place to 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 hear from me if you're so inclined. Um, I don't have a blog. I used to blog a lot. Um, actually, my blog is still live, and I <laughs> posted through the entire process of writing and editing Seeing Voices. So if you want to look at the old posts, my old blog is uh, called The Kutch, which is spelled uh, C-W-T-C-H. I think it's The Kutch blog. I'll look that up and we can maybe put it in the show notes if people are interested. Um, but now, For sure. What does that mean? Uh, that's oh, a, sorry. That of like course. A... That's a strange word. Uh, well, my grandparents are Welsh. My dad was born in Wales. And kutch is a Welsh word that means it, it doesn't really have an English equivalent, but it, it means like a hug or a cuddle or a safe place like created between like two people. So my my grandma, my nanny would always say, oh, come and kutch with me. And she'd want to cuddle. Um but it could be like a deep friendship or like the relationship you have with your spouse, parent, child. It's very warm. It's a warm word. That's really um, cool. Yeah. So um, like I said, I don't actually blog anymore, but my newsletter is where I kind of get my blogging out. So I send out newsletter twice a month. I'm not spammy. And I share some thoughts that like same type of thing you'd find in a blog. They're just in the newsletter. So. Awesome. Olivia, thanks for uh, taking some time on Friday afternoon and coming on. And uh, Yeah, no problem. Look forward to your book coming out in just a couple of months. Uh, Two and a half months, April 15th. <laughs> April 15th, yeah. Well, hopefully people will be ready for uh, for a nice read. I guess you're, a lot of your readers are YA, so they may not be worried about tax day in America. But Oh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us today for our talk with Olivia Smith. For more information about Olivia, please check out the show notes for links to her website, blog, social media, and books. 
And if you check out our website, whitefire.tv unexpressed, there we have some suggestions for how you might help a friend or family member who could be going through a hard time. And if you have a story that helped you get through a tough time in your life and would like to share it, we'd love to hear it. Who knows who might be encouraged by your story today? This podcast is sponsored by Read Whitefire. There you can read the first two chapters of any Whitefire Publishing Group company's books. And if you like what you read, they're available for purchase in print format as well as electronic formats for all the most popular e-readers. Some books even have signed copies available. And if you're a listener of this podcast, there's a chance you're a good candidate for Platy People, our membership program for unique readers. For just $5 a month or $50 a year, Platy People members get to choose two free books per month, a free novella, 15% off all purchases, including gift certificates, and free shipping to U.S. addresses. Why choose ordinary when you can read extraordinary? Unexpressed is part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast to find other shows we know you're going to love.